Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Middle Earth Mixer. I'm your host, Evan Cooney, and today we are going to be talking about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Episode 6. Now, I promise I'm planning to get back to the lore and have a couple episodes. Maybe we'll do one on Tom Bombadil. Just want to get through, you know, doing these. The show's almost over, so we might as well just finish it out. So this episode title is Udun. So first of all, Udun is... The original fortress of Morgoth, all the way back when when the, the world was lit, not even by the two trees, but by the two lamps uh, prior to him uh, destroying them. And uh, so it's got a bunch of names. It's actually Sindarin for, I think, uh, a pit or hell. It's also a geographic location in Mordor. It's kind of the front basin, like right behind the Black Gates. I think in this context, the uh, episode is referring more to the general Sindarin version of of hell so starting this episode off uh this one's gonna be a lot easier because it was a more concise one storyline you know we weren't bouncing around that was one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode everything was much easier to follow you know you're not constantly being taken out of the story to go see what's going on somewhere else so that was that's kind of the first time that we've gotten that in this show it starts off and we have this character Adar, and he is putting some seeds into the ground. Now, these seeds that he's putting into the ground, I believe it's Alfred's seeds. These are um, another name for this is Symbol uh, Main. I might be butchering that, but these are actually the seeds to the plant that sprouts the flower which grows in Rohan on the graves of Theoden's house. So, I thought that was really interesting. You know, they are including Symbolman in the in the show. That's a that's a good thing to see. You know, it's a good callback to the lore. It's a good callback to everything that that flower represents. And he's kind of fumbling around in the dirt with these seeds, and he says something along the lines of uh, "new life in the face of death," which was interesting. And then he. And he's he's kind of behind this tree, and then he comes out from behind that tree where he was he was doing that. Oh, the line was "New Life in Defiance of Death," and I think he says it in Quenya. Uh, and then he goes back around the trees and he gives this speech to the orcs, and we get a little bit of interesting geography, the the geographic history of this group. Adar is is giving this war speech to his orcs and he says we've all arrived here brothers and sisters but he says something interesting he says we've traveled from the arid mithrin to the ethel arnet now arid mithrin is a reference to the gray mountains so this is interesting if you look at a map of middle earth he is saying that they have traveled all there to the mordor general area all the way from the uh area that would be the gray mountains that's a really long walk the Grey Mountains are up at the top um, by Faradwith, which is, uh, is actually where in the show Galadriel was in the first episode, you know, when they fought that troll. So we get a little bit of backstory from them and kind of where they came from. And then the orcs start doing this chant. Oh, there's something interesting, too, that he, he said, he says brothers and sisters to the orcs, which I thought was interesting because now we have confirmed like female orcs there which is cool because that goes with the lore you know the Tolkien says that the orcs procreated in the manner of the children of Iluvatar so you can draw your own definitions from that the children of Iluvatar are men and elves so you know there must be some female orcs running around and we get that in the show apparently 
Uh, I don't know where they are. Maybe they're maybe they look indistinguishable from one another. Uh, but yeah, notice that. And then they they begin this chant. They're going Nampat, which uh, I believe someone said on Twitter means death. Uh, I saw that. I think it was Nerd of the Rings, so I'll give him credit there. I, I believe he was my source for that. So yeah, they're they're chanting death, and that is in Black Speech. And they march up to this fortress that all of the villagers who would not submit to Adar were supposed to be in, and the door is unlocked. And we notice kind of as he's marching into this elven tower, um, uh, the character Waldrake is with him. So it's very clear that Waldrag in the last episode ended up killing Theo's friend because, you know, now he's working and serving with Adar and Adar had said that that was the price. So clearly Waldrag went through with that. Anyway, they get in and there is no one in there. They can't find anyone or at least they can't see anyone and uh, Adar tells one of the orcs uh, to find them. And what I thought was interesting was one of the leading orcs that Adar gives this command to, he he yells out Gimbatul, which is, it means find them in black speech. But if you know the One Ring poem, that the lettering that's actually written on Sauron's ring, uh, one of the stanzas in that poem is Ajnaj uh, Gimbatul, and that's one ring to find them. So I thought it was interesting that, the you know, we had the little bit of the, the orc yelling out in black speech, Gimbatul, you know, it means find them. And he was, of course, talking about something different, but, you know, it very much, like, it, it put me in the world. I, I appreciated that a lot. I just slapped my mic. Um, but yeah, I appreciated that. And sorry about that mic slap, but hey, that's what you guys come to me for, right? You get it. All natural. It's me, just off the top of my head. Sometimes I smack my mic. Sometimes I, I knock over my drink. But you know what? You're getting the natural stuff. And that's what you people want, right? Anyway, back to the uh, Rings of Power episode. Then we get this shot where Waldreg is standing with Adar, and they look up at this mural of Sauron with this hilt key that everybody is after. And Waldreg looks over at Adar and says something like, what, what happened? If you're not Sauron, what happened to him? And Adar goes to answer him, and then all of a sudden they get interrupted by the orc who says that they can't find him. And then you get this shot of Irondir popping up out of the corner, and he starts firing off arrows on some of the orcs. And everybody's scrambling, they want to get Irondir, and then Irondir jumps Well, first he shoots a flaming arrow at the tower, which releases a rope that I guess lets go of a support that was holding up the tower and makes it start to crumble on top of all of the orcs that are inside. And then Arondir jumps over the wall of this tower and kicks a rock, which pulls a wooden plank in in front of the door, barring the door shut and locking all of the orcs inside to be crushed by the falling debris from this tower. An interesting plan, and it was relatively successful. And then the villagers kind of see it happening from far away. So apparently sometime between this and the end of last episode, these people who are being led by Bronwyn at this point, uh, just decide to abandon the tower altogether and make their stand over where their old village was. Interesting choice. We'll see how it works out for them. So villagers are cheering, and then we kind of pan to the Numenorean boats. 
and you have this scene where Isildur wakes up and he goes above deck and he's staring into, he's looking east, right? And he clearly wants to see the sunrise. And Galadriel approaches him as he's doing this. And she lets him know that she has been able to... uh, They have this weird moment where Galadriel says that she's been able to see land now for about an hour. And then he says, ah, keen are the eyes of the elves. Which, all right, I'm glad that they threw that line in there. Because that's actually, you know, that's, that's what Aragorn says to Legolas in the books. So... I liked that there. I thought that the, I think that the elven sight that has been used so far in this show is a little bit of overkill. You know, I I don't think, I don't think it's so good that Galadriel would have already been able to see land for an hour. That's a little ridiculous, but whatever, fine. You know, keen are the eyes of the elves. That's something we know, right? And then they're having this discussion and Elendil comes up. And this is the moment where we find out that Isildur's mother has drowned and that's how she died Uh, which is interesting because we know that Isildur also is is killed in a river so we kind of have a little bit of mirroring there that the show's doing now we don't have any canon death for Elendil's wife Uh, we don't know anything about Elendil's wife really so it's liberty that the show is taking that I'm totally okay with and then we go back to the villagers and Irondir is trying to break the hilt and it immediately made me think of Gimli trying to break the one ring conveniently they can't do anything to break this powerful object so yeah some derivative stuff there uh but you know that's fine it it can't be that easy right so they decide to hide it right Irondir takes the hilt and he goes to hide it and then we see that Theo is watching him as he runs off to hide it right Theo being bad again and then Irondir and Bronwyn have this moment by the tree where Irondir teaches her the uh, tradition of what Adar is doing at the beginning of the episode, where he puts the main seeds into the ground and he says, new life in defiance of death. And apparently this is some elven tradition that they do. I don't have any context for this from the book, but I am okay with it uh, because... You know, the elves have such a respect for plants and and not not just plants but all living things in general all of the things created by yavana we get a yavana reference uh Irondir says to bronwyn that one of the vala takes personal care of those who care for living things and that's a reference of course to yavana uh, aule's wife the member of the Valar who's responsible for uh, creating the Ents. So that's that was cool. You know, that was a, a good bit of lore dump there that they don't need to put in, but I appreciated the dialogue. It was great. And then they, and I might have gotten these two scenes switch. I forget which one chronologically comes in order, but they, they give a speech to the villagers who are there, the Southlanders. And, you know, it's kind of a generic, nothing, nothing's really special about it. It's not bad, but it's not great dialogue. Um, and then Theo comes up to his mother, Bronwyn, after the speech is given. And he asks his mother if she recalls the thing that she used to say to him when he would have nightmares. And I really appreciated the fact that they inserted the line, the the shadow is just a passing thing, 
that is a, a reference to Return of the King, the the thought that Sam has to himself when he sees when Sam and Frodo are in Mordor and they are exhausted, and Sam looks up at the star peeking through the ash cloud of uh, Mount Doom, and he sees this star and thinks to himself, "This shadow is but a passing thing." I'm butchering it, of course, but it, it says it, it's something like there is there is beauty there that it cannot touch, and it's such a good line. It's one of my favorite lines from the book, and I was happy to see portions of it into the show. They added something onto it. It's like, find the light, and the shadow won't find you. Whatever. You know, That's that was fine. But man, I love the quote that they derived, at least the first portion of that scene from. That's, like I said, it's one of my favorites. It's great because... It reflects our our real life. The darkness in our world only has so much power. It can only go so far. There is beauty that it, it cannot touch, that it has no power over. And it's great. It, it honestly, it gets me in my feels when I hear it. So I was glad to see portions of it in the show. And then, you know, they're getting ready for battle. They're going over the plan. They want to trap them after the orcs come over the bridge. And... They're preparing for this scrap that's going to take place, and they finally come, right? They're, they're sitting there into the night. They're waiting. They finally see these, these lights start to approach them. They wait until the orcs all get over the bridge, and then they trap them using these flaming wagons that kind of set a wall of fire on both sides of this column of what they believe is orcs. And the villagers end up slaying them all. There's a there's a great scene with uh, Arondir. He's fighting like a boss orc. It's funny. It reminded me of like the whole nemesis thing from Shadow of War. It was just this big guy for no reason. Um, you know, orcs usually aren't that big, but he's really beaten on Arondir, which I liked, you know, because I finally get, I, I, I just like, I feel like the elves are always so amped up that whenever there's a scene of one of them just getting dunked on, I really appreciate it. You know, not that I like to see the good people lose or anything, but it's it's nice to get a little reminder every once in a while that the stakes are still high for these elven characters too. You know, not everything is super easy for them. Uh, so I really appreciated that. There was a it, it ended up uh, it got pretty violent there. You know, Arondir hit it in the eye, and then he pulled he pulled the knife out of his eye, and he was bleeding all over Arondir. And then Bronwyn finally comes up and uh, saves him. It was a cool fight scene there. I appreciated it. Uh, but the villagers end up winning right? And they're going around and they're looking at these bodies and then all of a sudden Arondir notices some red blood, right? We know orcs have black blood. So Arondir is confused and he runs up, takes the helmet off, and he sees that actually most of the people they just killed weren't orcs. Most of them, some of them were orcs, but most of them were, you know, half of their kin that left them to go serve on Adar's side. So I thought that was, you know, that was a real downer. It was, it was a strongly delivered punch of a scene, in my opinion. So then we got more orcs coming, right? Arrows are flying out of nowhere after the, the villagers realized they just killed a bunch of their own. And uh, a bunch of people get hit. Bronwyn, Theo's mother, gets hit. She's got an arrow coming out of her shoulder. And Arondir scoops her up and tells everybody to get into what I believe is that guy Waldreg's old butcher shop. And uh, they're in there and they're tending to the wounded. And the big guy that Bronwyn was friends with, he's he dies, right? And 
they can see that Bronwyn is about to die, right? She's bleeding out. She's got the arrow jutting out of her shoulder. And Arondir decide, and Arondir and Theo both decide to try and uh, stop the bleeding. So they pull the arrow out, and then they take some of the seeds of Symbolmane. And I'm not sure. I didn't get all of the science beyond uh, behind this scene. Like I, I guess the seeds light. You know, so they needed to cauterize the wound and they needed the inside of the wound to kind of light up so that they could uh, seal this this cut up. Um, but yeah, they take main seeds and they jam it in there and they light it on fire and they seal the wound and she passes out, right? Now, honestly, I thought this was a huge missed opportunity to inject some cost into this show. I thought it would have been so much better if she just died right here. But you know, she passes out and she comes back to life. So I was disappointed in that. I wanted to see her die because I thought that that would have been more interesting, right? Uh, so she doesn't die. Everybody, you know, is is in the thing. They had just um, gotten Bronwyn to open her eyes back up again. And Adar and the rest of his boys come barging in with uh, Battering Ram. And Adar wants the hilt, and he starts just having his orcs kill people one by one. And another one of these shots were pretty brutal. Like, they really focused on the orcs slowly stabbing these people. And I thought that was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of wild. Kind of a weird little... Those shots were intentional. It was like they were trying to be a little shocking with those. And I didn't think that was necessary. You know, it, it seemed unnaturally like you're you're forcing us to watch the knife slowly go into these people. But anyway... Adar finally loses his patience and goes to kill Bronwyn. And then, of course, obviously, you knew he was going to do it. Theo breaks, and he's like, no, here, I have the hilt. And then he cracks open this stone in the floor, and the hilt is in the cloth underneath it. He hands the hilt over to Adar, and then all of the sudden, you hear some shaking. The ground is quaking. There's someone approaching. A number of people. Uh, on their way in and excuse me I'm in a basement right now and there's a lot of noises and I don't know if it's getting picked up on my thing I guess I'll find out when I listen to it later um, but yeah so there's there's something approaching and Adar runs outside and he says something to Waldrake he says Waldrake I have an assignment for you but before we can hear what that assignment is all of the Numenorians swarm the little village and start killing all the orcs and the fight breaks out chaos ensues right so we get all these different shots of the orcs fighting the Numenorians. We get this interesting chain shot with the with the horses. I like that one. That was cool. We get a couple cornball shots of Galadriel hanging off the horse sideways. Uh, somebody made the point on Twitter that they thought it was okay the first time, and then the second time it was a little overkill, and I couldn't agree more. In the Two Towers, Legolas did a really ridiculous swing up onto the horse thing, and when I was a child, of course, I thought that that was the coolest scene ever. But you watch it as an adult, and you're like, man, it's still the coolest scene ever. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like each elf is due at least one cool horse trick. But when you do the same one consecutively within, like, you know, a minute of each other it was just it was a lot so anyway they're fighting and adar hops up on a numenorean horse and jets and then irondir tells galadriel like hey he can't get away with that thing that he's got so galadriel is chasing after him and we get this really cool horse chase scene and if you listen galadriel leads in leads into her horse and says noralim now that um i could be wrong but i think that's with haste or speed up 
in Sindarin, I believe. And yeah, anyway, it's a great scene. The score of this scene is tremendous. I thought the, you know, the the woods they were in, beautiful shots. And she's chasing him and she's getting closer and closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, Halbrand kind of comes out of nowhere and trips the horse up with his spear. And the horse takes a hard fall. And for some reason, the show goes out of its way to show us that the horse is okay and just gets back up again, which... Like, come on. Why do you need to do that? It just have there be some cost in this world. Like the same thing with Bronwyn's death or uh, not dying. You know, I wish she would have died. It would have been so much cooler. Let this horse get wrecked. You know, who cares? I, I, it just, it seemed intentional. Like they had to go out of their way to show us that the horse was fine. No, no horse violence was committed during this scene. Anyway, so Adar is crawling after falling off this horse towards what we think is the hilt. And uh, Halbrand stabs him in the hand. And Halbrand's got him pinned. And he flips him over and he's like, do you remember me? And Adar's like, no. So he's like about to kill Adar because clearly Adar had wronged him in some way and Galadriel screams at him to stop. She says, no, we need him. We need him to talk. And Halbrand's like, you don't know what he did. So I'm curious to see like what it was he actually did. And then it goes to the next scene where Galadriel and Halbrand are sitting on this this rock together and Galadriel tells Halbrand to whatever he did, be rid of it. We still don't know what he did, right? We don't know how he survived. We don't know how Adar affected him so profoundly. Then they're they're having this moment together on the rock, and it's almost like, it almost seems like a romantic scene, but I feel like that was a misdirection. I think that the scene can be read another way. Halbrand says something like, the feeling that I had when I was fighting by your side, I wish I could make that part of my being. And Gladriel responds with, I felt it too. And then they look, she goes to look at him for a second and then they get interrupted by a Numenorean soldier who says that the queen wants to see Halbrand. I don't believe that the show is going to take them in a romantic direction. You know, that's, that's too much. That would upset people way too much, you know? Celeborn has to come in somewhere, folks. So, yeah, I don't think, I, I think it can be read as like both of them were kind of feeling the providence of the moment. Like they're supposed to be fighting together for some cosmic reason. That's how I read that scene. So, yeah, that happens. And then Halbrand goes to Queen Muriel, who is having a chat with Bronwyn about how, like, hey, you know, it's been great that you've been leading these people and, um, it's been a burden, but I have someone here who's going to lighten your load. Camera pans out and Halbrand's right there. And Bronwyn notices this symbol on his belt. You know, the thing with the that wolf looking thing that's supposedly the symbol of the lost king of the Southlands. And apparently that's enough <laughs> for all of these people. And of course, yeah, you know, he, he showed up with an army of Numenorians. So, all right. He showed up with an army of Numenorians who are ready to put a crown on his head. So, okay. Uh, I get how people would readily accept it, but I don't know. It's like, do these people even know who this guy is? I mean, how does uh, someone had brought up online, you know, weren't they originally from the same village? Wasn't it like Horndon or something? Because the show had like implied that Halbrand was from there. How does nobody recognize him? Who is he? What happened? And I guess these are all things that the show, you know, these are questions that the show wants us to be asking, right? Um, I just kind of thought it was silly how quickly everyone was just ready to accept him as their ruler. But again, they've been wanting a king for a long time. So it's easy to see how they'd be like, all right, this guy shows up with an army. He's our next king. But 
here's what I really wanted to get to right here. So we get Galadriel, who is now interrogating a captive Adar. And he's like cuffed to this support beam in a shed. And man, this is some really great dialogue here. They're talking and Adar admits, you know, Galadriel suggested it. I was right, by the way, folks. Just want to throw that out there. As I said, I think that Adar was the first orc. I was right. Adar admits to being uh, what Galadriel refers to as the sons of the dark. These captive, these elves that were captive of Morgoth. If you read the Silmarillion in the beginning, when the elves first woke up, as I said before, Morgoth was the first one to find them. They were unknown to the Valar yet. Morgoth was the first one to find them, and he kidnapped a few of them, twisted, tortured, mutilated them. And Galadriel even quotes uh, something along the lines of what Saruman said in the Peter Jackson movies, tortured, mutilated, a ruined form of life. Galadriel says that to him, and she calls him Sons of the Dark, and he says, We prefer the term Uruk, which is the term that the orcs used to uh refer to themselves you know whatever like it it sounds like he wants to be identified as one of the orcs because that's what the orcs call themselves but anyway she's questioning him about sauron and he claims to have killed sauron and i thought that this was great dialogue here because it adds depth to sauron's character which we know exists right he says the one whom you call sauron which is great dialogue because sauron does not call himself sauron that is the derogatory name that the elves give to him it means the abhorred sauron has a lot of lofty names and titles for himself and sauron is not one of them he actually gets very upset when people call him sauron so i appreciated that adar was like the one you call sauron and Then he says that Sauron, after Morgoth's defeat, set himself to trying to bring order to the lands of Middle-earth. Really appreciated that because we know from Sauron's character that that is something that he is obsessed with. He is obsessed with order. He wants to establish and, and make the world beautiful according to what he thinks is beautiful. So that... These are the things that we know drive Sauron's motivations, and I'm glad that they touched on that because it it brings, like I said, depth to his character and the things that are driving him. But what I really, really liked here is that Adar, going back, you know, Galadriel says that you, the the sons of the the sons of darkness, you you have evil hearts. Orcs have evil hearts created by Morgoth. And Adar argues with her on that point, and he says, he says, no, we were created by the one. We were created by the master of the secret fire. We have every right to exist. And this little debate was, I, I don't want them to dwell on it too long, but it was a great analysis of, t- of the debates that Tolkien wrestled with himself. So towards the end of his life, Tolkien started to kind of be upset with his origin story for the orcs and how he had painted their character. Because again, orcs, are not, orcs themselves are not even creations of Morgoth out of nothing. Orcs are creations of, they, they originally, the first orcs were elves. So Tolkien was bothered by the fact that something that was originally one of the children of Iluvatar could be corrupted to an irredeemable point by Morgoth. He he didn't like that he had done that originally, so he kind of wrestled with the idea of, could there be a situation where orcs could maybe be redeemable eventually? 
so I, I really liked this dialogue here because that touched on that. And we get an Iluvatar reference. I really did not think that Amazon was going to touch the idea of Tolkien's God. I really did not think that they were going to bring that into this show. And not only do I have a reference to the one, I also have a reference to the secret fire, right? The secret fire, Iluvatar's power, his ability to give life, what gives the children of Iluvatar, men and elves and the adopted children, the dwarves, a soul, agency, free will. You know, that was all in this episode, wrapped up in that dialogue. So I really was excited about that. I appreciated that. And then uh, he continues to argue with Galadriel and he says, um, I thought a great line that he said in there was because so the show's angle is that Galadriel is coming at this the wrong way. You know, she is obsessing over trying to rid the world of every last dark being and she's doing it it's like she's not even taking her own advice when she says uh your thirst cannot be quenched by seawater it's like it's ironic that she's saying that because she's not even willing to take her own advice he says to her perhaps i'm not the only elf alive to be corrupted by the dark maybe your search for morgoth's successor should have ended in your own mirror which there's a lot of depth to that line because i believe that it's a reference to galadriel's mirror right from the lord of the rings so yeah i think that there's a lot to unpack there i think that galadriel at least in the show but even at during the second age in the books you know people forget that galadriel was too prideful to seek pardon from the Valar and the Undying Lands. And that was a darkness in her personality that people are, a lot of people who are complaining online about some of her bad personality traits, that's something that they just tend to be like leaving out just because they want to hate on the show. And I, I don't really understand that. You know, Gladriel had negatives to her personality. And I think that that is somewhat reflected in this dialogue that she's having with Adar here. So yeah, this was my favorite scene. This that bit of dialogue made this my favorite episode and Galadriel actually she gets mad enough during this back and forth to actually go and kill him herself and it's now Halbran who interrupts and stops her and then she walks out and but but her the pressing of her dagger up against his neck makes a slit and we see as it zooms up on the slit that black blood is dripping out of it so we know that adar has been fully corrupted to the point where his blood isn't even the same color anymore so yeah a lot of a lot of interesting depth that was that was brought into the show by that scene there so galadriel gets angry after halbrand interrupts her from slitting adar's throat and she leaves the room and then i thought there was a little interesting moment where oh i had forgot to mention that adar claims to have killed Sauron. When Galadriel asks him about Sauron, he says that Sauron was doing all of these experiments. Oh, oh, great line in there. Can't believe I forgot this. Um, I almost skipped over this. He says that Sauron sought for a power, I think he says not of flesh, but over flesh, which was fascinating because it's, again, I, I love this aspect to the show so far. The aspect that Sauron didn't just know all of this knowledge. He had to try some experiments out first. That, I, th I think, is a really cool, like, thing that the show is doing. So, we see that Sauron has been conducting experiments through Adar's uh, explanation here. He's trying to gain some power to control flesh, which we know that he does this with the 
the rings of power that he makes. So yeah, I thought that was cool there. And he says that through these experiments, he sacrificed a lot of orcs, you know, trying to make things happen. And because of this, Adar got angry eventually and just, he says he split him open. So Adar thinks that he's killed Sauron. Uh, One, he's either lying or two, he has just killed Sauron's corporeal form and Sauron will eventually gather himself and uh, have a new body and be in the show in in whatever appearance he uh, might take. But going along with that, I thought as Galadriel is leaving in this scene, you have this weird little moment where Adar kind of looks over at Halbrand as he's walking out and says, who are you? And Halbrand doesn't answer, but Adar almost says it with like this kind of mischievous tone, like almost as if he's starting to expect Halbrand to be something that he might know. So is he seeing Halbrand as Sauron? We don't know. That'll be interesting going forward to see. I I really wonder how they're going to close this show out. Anyway, so Halbrand and Galadriel leave. Everybody's having a dinner party all of a sudden uh, after this battle. I guess they've cleaned up and made some food. And... Irondir has the hilt, or at least what we think is the hilt. And he's talking, he goes over to talk with Theo, and Theo expresses to him how he feels this sense of loss by not having the sword anymore, because the hilt made him feel powerful when he had it in his hand. And, uh, man, I mean, this kid really does suck. (laughs) But yeah, so, and Arondir does this completely inexplicable thing where he gives a child this great weapon and he says, well, here, you know, be rid of it. Give it back to the Numenorians and tell them to just throw it overboard. This guy, he gives it to this little kid. I thought that that was just like so stupid. Like, why would you give it to a little kid? Maybe he was just going to watch him the whole time to see if he really did it. I don't know. But Theo goes to unwrap this thing that he thinks is the hilt, this thing that we all think is the hilt. And it's not in there. It's just a dumb little axe. So somebody switched it out. And when I first saw it, I was like, how did that happen? And then all of a sudden the camera pans over and it's our boy Waldrake. And he's back at the Elven Tower and he's jamming the hilt. He activates the sword and he sticks it inside this keyhole and turns a lever and then releases this damned water. And the water pours out all over the the Mordor Basin. And then we go back to the dinner party that's taking place, and we actually get a great scene between uh, Isildur and Elendil. I thought it was really good. I've seen a lot of conflict between the two of them up until this point, so it was great to see like a nice, passionate father-son moment between the two of them. And we get this shot where Elendil does a very... Um, very reminiscent of the Peter Jackson movies where Aragorn's talking to the horse. He does a very similar thing. And it's, it's funny because, you know, I think somebody on Twitter put them both side by side. They really do look like each other during this, this horse moment. I think um, that was a cool shot there. And then the horse is upset and Elendil, who thinks that he can talk to the horse, clearly was not talking to the horse right because he says that the horse is upset on behalf of Isildur and the wounds that he carries. And then you see, like, clearly, okay, now the horse is upset because something is happening underground and the horse can feel it. All of these trenches that the orcs have been digging fill up with this water that um, Waldrig has let loose. And all of the trenches are 
pointing directly towards Orad Ruin, or what we come to know as Mount Doom, right? And it goes under the water, and all of the steam and pressure that is created from this water um, hitting the lava explodes. It causes the volcano to erupt. And, you know, I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I've seen a couple things from different people who I guess would be in the know who say that this scene makes sense. I'm not thinking about it too hard. There are people who are like picking it apart like one way or the other. I didn't have an issue with it because the explanation the explanation I was given for why that might happen made sense to me. And yeah, you get this really cool eruption scene and then all of a sudden rocks are falling out of the sky and they're hitting the villagers in the dinner party and everybody scatters and people are freaking out and you get a really nice looking shot of pyroclastic flow. I believe that is the term for it. Um, this kind of smoke, ash, dust, rock, debris that is flying at a high speed towards our heroes everybody scattered and galadriel's kind of just looking into it and watching as it comes people were upset with this scene but someone was complaining that it seemed like galadriel was looking in it like yeah i can take this whatever this is and i i didn't read it that way and i don't know why anyone would read it that way i saw that as a moment of despair for galadriel almost like she feels so crushed in that moment that she doesn't even have the motivation to move, essentially. Um, so I didn't mind that. I do, I am going to be annoyed though if somehow everybody survives this pyroclastic flow. I don't think that this is something that doesn't kill you if, if it hits you. Again, not a scientist, but I would even assume that maybe even Galadriel with all her power would be killed by this too. Going back into the Silmarillion after the uh, Battle of Sudden Flame, right? You have a lot of the Noldor elves. Again, remember the Noldor were touched by the Light of the Valar, so they are special. And, you know, you can't write off every every act of, like, superhumanness that Galadriel has. You can't just write it off as, oh, well, she's gifted by the Light of the Valar. If you go back into the Silmarillion to the Battle of Sudden Flame, Thangordrim erupts. And it says flame engulfed on Falgleath and killed a lot of the elves who were living there, a lot of the Noldor elves. And that describes it as flame. And I'm assuming there was lava involved too. Now in this show, it's just, it seems to be just kind of smoke, ash, rock, and debris. But um, I don't know. I mean, like the elves died in that, in some, in a similar description that I get from the Silmarillion. So I would like to see some kind of externalities happen. Like there, there needs to be some cost, you know, nobody is dying. Nobody gets hurt in this show. So yeah, I'd, li I'd like to see that. And I, I'm sure, I mean, of course, Galadriel lives, but can I, can I see some kind of negative health, health effects that this has on her? Something, anything, let there be some kind of cost. Yeah, that's, that's my analysis there. But I will say that I really enjoyed this episode, and it was my favorite one so far. I love the dialogue between Galadriel and Adar. This episode has made me even more excited for what's to come. I'm still waiting to see how they end off this season. I'm looking out for any kind of bad philosophical garbage uh, that Hollywood might try to put into the Tolkien universe. I haven't really seen that yet. You know, people, I don't know, folks, we'll see what happens. We'll see how this thing closes out. But yeah, that's that's my analysis for this episode. I thought it was good. But hey, let me know what you thought. And thank you for tuning in to the Middle Earth Mixer. I really appreciate you guys listening and I'll talk to you next time.